As you know, I began a series uh, last Sunday entitled Living and Leading Like Jesus. Living and Leading Like Jesus. The purpose of this series is to equip and empower us to be able to live and lead like Jesus. And as I've shared with you, that some people would say, but I'm not a leader. The truth of the matter is, you do lead someone. You lead yourself. And even if you're an introvert, you'd be amazed at how many lives that your life impacts or influences. And so you and I are called to lead and to live like Jesus. Now, there was a mother who was preparing pancakes for her sons. Kevin, age five, and Ryan, age three. The boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake. Their mother saw the opportunity to teach them a moral lesson. She said, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. At that, Kevin, the older brother, said to Ryan, the younger brother, okay, Ryan, you be Jesus. (laughs) Now, isn't it just like us to want the other person to play the role of Jesus. We want them to be the one responsible to act like Jesus. But last week I shared with you that if you are a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to live and lead like Him. We noted two verses in 1 John. First, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. 1 John 2, 6 that says, He who says he abides in Him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. In other words, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, if you claim to live in Jesus, then you ought to walk like him or live your life like him. And then in 1 John 4:17, we read, As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face Him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. So we are called to live and lead like Jesus. There was an atheist that was out fishing in Scotland one day when all of a sudden a huge dragon-type creature began to come out of the water with snarling teeth. It moved closer towards him. In desperation, he shouted, Dear God, please save me. All of a sudden, everything stopped moving. And the heavens opened and a deep voice said, Save you? I thought you didn't believe in me. To that, the atheist responded, I know, but give me a break. Two minutes ago, I didn't believe in the Loch Ness Monster either. Now, one of the things that I have found is this. Our beliefs or our faith is tested during trials. Our belief or our faith is tested during trials. It is easy to believe in God and to trust in Him when everything is going well. But what about when things get tough? Let's look today at an experience that the disciples had. 
in which they faced a tough situation. Look with me at Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 45, and we'll read down to verse 51. Mark 6, verses 45 through 51. It says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the, mount, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then when he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Now, this passage tells us several things that Jesus did. First, it tells us that he prayed. He prayed. What you and I need to understand about him praying at this juncture is that his praying followed a long, difficult day spent ministering to the spiritual and physical needs of the multitude. And it left him exhausted. If you study the context of this, you will discover that his praying follows a day after he had healed people that were sick, after he had taught a multitude, and after he had fed the multitude. So by this time, he's exhausted. But what I want you to note is this, that the hard day drove Jesus to prayer, not from prayer. The hard day drove Jesus to prayer, not from prayer. Let me say to us that are in leadership here at CWC Life, those of us that are engaged in ministry here at CWC Life, You'll never rise above your prayer life. You'll never rise above your prayer life. This is something that I've learned in my journey. That the more responsibility God allows me to take, the more opportunities that I have in His service for Him, the more that I need to add to my prayer life. The more time I need to be engaged in communion with God. Because as opportunities come, it's like another level being added to the structure of my life. And the only way as levels are being added to the structure of my life that I can sustain those levels of responsibility is by having undergirding those things 
prayer. Because when I pray, I move from dependence on what I can do to connecting to the power and the ability of what God can do. So I want you to understand today, prayer is not to be my last resort. It is to be my first response. Jesus teaches me that when life hits me hard, the first thing I should do is pray. When life is tough and I'm weary and exhausted, the first response that should come out of me is to call on God. Why? Because when I call on Him, I'm moving from leaning on me to leaning on Him. If I lean on me, eventually I can have a breakdown. But if I lean on Him, I will have a breakthrough. That's the difference. Because His is the power. His is the glory. His is the authority. You'll never rise above your prayer life. And someone noted one time, no prayer, no power. Little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. Is it any wonder that Jesus did what he did? He was a man of consistent prayer. An old saint of times past, Corey Ten Boom, used to pose the question, Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? In other words, do you just use prayer in case of emergencies or in emergency moments only? Or are you guided by living a life of prayer? For Jesus, prayer was his steering wheel. In fact, the Bible tells us in Luke 5.16 concerning Jesus... It says this of Jesus in Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. He did this often, consistently, steadfastly, diligently. Whenever he had an opportunity, he would get away to pray. Because he knew that his connection with the Father was the key for him to fulfill the will of the Father regardless of the circumstances that would arise as he was out ministering. Listen, this is why Paul says to you and I believers as he did to the believers of Colossae. He writes in Colossians 4 too, Be persistent and devoted to prayer. Being alert and focused in your prayer life with an attitude of thanksgiving. So what did Jesus do? He prayed. He prayed. The second thing that Mark 6 reveals to us is that he saw. He saw. Notice that it was late afternoon by the time that Jesus had fed the crowds and sent the disciples to the other side of the lake. In verse 47, it says that when evening came, the disciples were already in the middle of the lake. During the fourth watch of the night, they were still rowing. The fourth watch means it was almost morning. In fact, if you have a study Bible with a footnote, it will tell you the fourth watch was between 3 and 6 in the morning. Between 3 and 6 in the morning. They are on this lake rowing. Okay, So that means that they had probably been rowing for more than 10 hours. For more than 10 hours. They found themselves stuck. In the middle of the sea. Now this sea had the length of about seven miles. 
So they were between three to three and a half miles into their destination that would take them seven miles. Okay? So they're there and they're, they're facing a wind that is against them. And so even though they're rowing, they're not progressing. Even though they're rowing, they're not making advancement. They're just growing more and more weary and tired. That's where they were at. And where was Jesus during this time? The Bible tells us that he was up on the mountain praying. Jesus saw what they were going through. And I'm sure that he was praying for them throughout the night. The important thing to note here is that Jesus saw them. Jesus saw them. He knew what they were going through. He was not ignorant of their suffering. He was not ignorant of their exhaustion, their weariness, their pain that they were feeling in their body. And this is what you and I need to be aware of. Jesus is the God of the supernatural. And one of his names is El Rai. El Rai, meaning the God who sees me. I want you to see this, that Jesus sees you in the midst of your trouble. He sees you in the midst of your pain. He sees you in the midst of your difficulty. I want you to know that Jesus is not some disconnected God. He's not some God who just wound the clock and then left it to tick on its own. No, He is intricately, He is intimately engaged in overseeing His creation. He's got His eye on you. That's why the songwriter said, His eye is on the sparrow and I know that He watches over me. I'm saying to you today, you may think that nobody sees you as you're suffering in your pain. You may feel like nobody is watching what you're going through, but I'm here to tell you there is a Savior. There is a Jesus. There is the Lord who watches over you. No matter where you go, and no matter what you go through, Jesus knows and He understands Jesus sees us. He sees us today in whatever situation we may find ourselves in. He is always there. Jesus understands our pain and our sorrow. He sees us. He is with us. Because of that, we do not need to be afraid. A three-year-old by the name of Mark accidentally spilled his fruit punch on the floor one day. He decided to clean up the mess himself and ran to the back porch to get the mop. Suddenly realizing it was dark outside, he became apprehensive about reaching out the door for the mop. His mother reminded him that Jesus is everywhere, even in the dark. Mark thought and then With his face to the door, he said this, Jesus, if you're out there, would you please hand me the mop? (laughs) Jesus sees me and prays for me in my most difficult times. Listen, the disciples couldn't see Jesus, but the good news is that Jesus could see the disciples. Let me say that again. The disciples couldn't see Jesus, but the good news was Jesus could see the disciples. 
When you're going through a dark struggle, you may look around and say, God, where are you? What you need to know is that God does see you and God cares for you. His eye is on you. He's watching over you. And the Bible says He will keep you in your going out and in your coming in from this time forth even forevermore because He is a diligent watcher over His children. So he prayed. He saw. Then he came. He came. When I saw this in the passage there in Mark 6, I put down the question, when did Jesus come? When did Jesus come? The answer, when the disciples needed him the most. When did Jesus come? When did he show up? When the disciples needed him the most. They're about now the 10th hour rowing and getting nowhere. They're physically tired, exhausted, weary, feeling like I can't row anymore. But when did Jesus come? When they most needed him at their greatest hour of need. That's just like Jesus. I've heard it said he may not come when you want him to, but he'll be on time. Even if it's at the nick of time. Even when you're feeling like I'm holding on to the last thread of this rope. I'm saying to you, don't give up. He who called you is faithful. He will show up. He's a promise keeper. When did Jesus come? While it was still dark. While it was still dark. This past week I was reading through, during my devotional time, the book of John. And I came across a verse that spoke to me. It's found in John chapter 20, verse 1. Here's what I read and what I wrote in response. John 20, verse 1 reads, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been rolled away or taken away from the tomb. And here's what I wrote in response. God does His best work in the dark. God does some of His best work in the dark. It says, while it was still dark, the stone, the hard thing, the difficult thing, the thing that they would consider impossible, had been taken away from the tomb. And then we read in John and Mark's gospel that Jesus came walking on water to the disciples who were struggling in the storm when about the fourth watch of the night between three and six in the morning. And most commentators believe that it was about three or three thirty in the morning when he showed up. I've concluded my remarks by saying today I look to the God who works in the dark 
and through His light prevails against all darkness. When did He show up? When they most needed Him to. When did He show up? While it was still dark. Now, when I was studying and preparing this message, I googled search, posing the question, when is it the darkest at night? I thought, Maybe it'll say 3 to 6, between 3 to 6 in the morning so that I could add it, you know, to the sermon and make it more. But what I found out is, it's at midnight. Midnight is the darkest part of the night. Oh, but then I remembered, it was at midnight that Paul and Silas in Acts 16 were in solitary confinement after being beaten, after being bloodied, after being bruised, and finding themselves in pain and in chains. Yet, Paul and Silas, at the darkest time of the night, they decided to pray and to sing praises unto God. And what happened? God showed up in their darkest hour, and He worked a great deliverance. I've come to tell somebody here and those of you on live stream it may be the darkest season that you feel you've ever gone through but I serve a God who shows up when things are the darkest to show us that He is mighty to deliver no matter how dark it is His light can penetrate and bring forth His power. Woo! And that, and how, how, how did he come to them? It says, walking on the sea. Walking on the sea. When they saw him, the scripture says this in verses 49 to 50. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was Casper. <laughs> A ghost, okay. Casper. And he cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. Now, if they were Mexicans, they would say, La Llorona. That's, yeah. I mean, La Llorona. They thought he was a ghost. And the Bible says this. They cried out, for they all saw him, and they were troubled. They were troubled and afraid by what they saw and about the sea. They were troubled and afraid by what they saw and about the sea. Now, let's examine their fear for a moment. They were afraid that the boat was going to sink and they were going to drown. They were afraid of going into the water and the water going into them. And then they would die. Don't miss this most important truth, however. The very thing they feared the most, the water, was under the feet of of Jesus. Watch this. This leads to a very important lesson and you can put this on the chat. You can tweet it. You can put it on Facebook with a nice frame around it. It'll work. Watch this. Any problem over my head is already under his feet. Let me say that again. Any problem over my head is already under his feet. Now, you may you may not fear drowning in water but you may be fearing poor health but let me let you in on something poor health it's under his feet 
You may not fear drowning in water, but you may be fearing financial loss. But let me let you in on something. Financial loss is still under His feet. You may not fear drowning in water, but you may fear COVID. You may fear the future, but I'm here to tell you that COVID and the future are under His feet. Whatever threatens to be over your head is already under His feet. The Bible reveals that God has already placed everything under the feet of Jesus. In Ephesians 1, 20-24, Ephesians 1, 20-24, it says, He, that is God, raised Him, Jesus, from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Watch this. And God placed all things under His feet. You would say, Pastor, that's nice, but I'm down here in the middle of the mess. Actually, spiritually speaking, we share the same perspective Jesus has. For the Bible says in Ephesians 2.6, Ephesians 2.6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, where am I right now? I'm standing on this platform here at our CWC Life Dinuba stage where we gather. But spiritually, according to the Bible, I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Watch this. Paul uses the phrase, in Christ, over 70 times in his letters. Watch this. Christ in me speaks of power, but me in Christ speaks of position. Christ in me speaks of power, but me in Christ speaks of position. Now, I can either look at my problems from this perspective on this stage and be fearful and afraid and troubled. Oh, they're overwhelming. Or I can look at my problems from my heavenly perspective, seated with Christ, knowing that I am with Jesus far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named. That's why Jesus said, I give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. That's why Jesus said, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means will hurt you. What are you saying, Pastor? The one that came walking on water, he ended up dying on a cross, shedding his blood to redeem you and I, rose from the dead. And in God's mind, when he rose, you rose with him far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named. Why? So that you could know that what used to domain or have dominion over you now you have the right through Jesus to have domination over it Woo! so what did Jesus do he prayed he saw the Bible reveals he came then he spoke he spoke there's a story of a country preacher who used to visit a widow in his church named Mrs. Jones. 
He liked to visit her around lunchtime because she had a vegetable garden and she loved cooking vegetables, fresh vegetables for her pastor. Let me just say, you do have land. Please raise cows. Your pastor loves beef. Going on. (laughs) One day, the preacher arrived at lunch and knocked on Mrs. Jones' door, but she didn't answer. So he walked through her garden calling Mrs. Jones Mrs. Jones he was perplexed because the back door was open and he could see food cooking on the stove but he didn't see Mrs. Jones knowing her sense of humor he left his card on her door with this note dear Mrs. Jones read Revelation 3:20 Of course, that verse says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone will hear my voice, I will come in and eat with them. What he didn't realize was that about the time he showed up, Mrs. Jones was getting out of the bathtub, and she was too embarrassed to answer the door. So she hid behind the door until he left. After reading the pastor's card, she wrote him a note and left it on his desk the next Sunday. It said, Dear Pastor, I got your card. Read Genesis 3.10. Genesis 3.10 reads this way. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. (laughs) Now, (laughs) that's a great story. But it also gives us the first reference to fear found in the Bible. Before they sinned, Adam and Eve never experienced fear. But after they disobeyed God, we find the first expression of fear. Since that time until today, fear has been a part of our human existence. And we know that today, fear is coming at us from all sides. What is fear? If you looked it up in a dictionary, you you would find that fear is a feeling of agitation and anxiety caused by the threat of danger. Fear is agitation and anxiety caused by the threat of danger. In that storm in Mark 6 that the disciples were in, they felt agitation and anxiety because they thought they were going to sink and drown. But what did Jesus do? He walked right into their fears and he said, it's just me. Don't be afraid. I want to ask you this morning, what is it in your life that is causing you to be afraid? Jesus has a message for you today and it is the same. I'm here. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Don't be afraid. You know what the number one command in the Bible is? Fear not. You know what the number one promise in the Bible is? I am with you. Final thing that this passage reveals is that he joined. He joined. He joined them in the boat. And when he joined them, it says there was a calm. In fact, if you read John's gospel that relates this same account or talks about this same episode, in John's gospel, in John 6, 21, it says that they willingly received him into the boat. 
And immediately, the storm ceased. Why? And watch this. And you know what happened? Immediately, they were at the other side. Immediately, they reached their destination. Miraculous. In a millisecond. The moment he stepped into their boat, being invited by them, they ended up three and a half miles to their destination. Just like that. That was miraculous. That's why the writer of Proverbs says, In all your ways, acknowledge Him. I've learned in my walk with the Lord that as long as I'm trying to row my way to the destination, it's going to take me longer than it would if I would invite Jesus to join me. Instead of me trying to figure everything out, I should turn to Him, call on Him, and He'll give me wisdom that will save me time and save me headaches and get me to where I need to be. What are you saying, Pastor? His presence is the key to my peace. His presence is the key to my peace. His companionship is the key to calm. This is what the writer says, Paul, in 2 Thessalonians 3.16 in the New King James. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. I like the way it reads in the New Living Translation. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. You see, if Jesus is with you, it doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in. His peace will guard your heart and mind. His peace will be with you because peace is not a thing. Peace is a person. Yes, there is temporal peace. The world gives peace a thing that is temporary. But Jesus is the peace of God. It is through Him, the person of Jesus, that we have a peace that is enduring, that is abiding, that is lasting. That's why He told His disciples in John 16, 33, in the New Living Translation, John 16, 33, He said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in Me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. In the Amplified Bible, it reads this way, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. In the world, you have tribulation and distress and suffering, but be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory abiding. Peace is a person. His name is Jesus. If you have Jesus with you, you're going to make it through your storm. In fact, the storm will come under his control. What's ever out of control in my life, when Jesus is with me, it will come under his control. So as I begin to wrap up this message, how does this apply to living and leading like Jesus? Here it is, and it's going to be on the screen. To live and lead Like Jesus, you've got to pray like Jesus. To live and lead like Jesus is to take what you see and make it a matter of prayer. To live and lead like Jesus is to pray to be empowered to walk on what would walk all over you. To live and lead like Jesus is to pray so that I speak 
what I speak would be life-giving. Live and lead like Jesus is to pray so that my presence would be an extension of His presence and minister peace to others. You see how prayer is connected to every one of these? Because prayer is a foundation. Child of God. That's why I say to you what Paul said to the church of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. He said, never stop praying. Never stop praying. I've learned in my journey, prayer is the stop that will keep you going. Prayer is the stop that will keep you going. When you retreat to prayer, you will advance through prayer. When you retreat to prayer, you will advance through prayer. Make prayer your first response, not your last resort. I shared with them in Cutler. I've seen the power of prayer. I've seen its evidence in my life. I've seen its evidence in those that have preceded me. I shared with them an experience in which I was driving my dad's Ford pickup, taking him to fulfill an engagement that he had in a church in the San Jose area in Sunnyvale, California. And while I was taking my dad, the reason I had to drive the truck was my dad was having to take codeine because of the cancer in his body. And he was becoming more and more depleted in his energy and he was really battling and within a few months he would be going to be with the Lord but he was committed to go and preach at this church and I remember that in the middle of his sermon he had to get up and excuse himself and he went back to where the restrooms were at and he threw up because of the medication its effect on his body but then he instructed the ushers get a chair on stage he says, I'm too weak to stand, but I'm going to sit and I'm going to finish my message. And he finished his message and God moved at the altar. What people didn't know is that as I'm driving my dad from Antica to Sunnyvale, all he's doing as my passenger is praying in tongues, praying in the spirit. I remember my mama at one time in our two uh, story house there in Manteca, my my bedroom would be on top of her bedroom. And they would, there would be nights because of my brother Robert. No, it was all of us. I'm just, I, would, I can't blame you. But you got to know, we were traviesa. We were rebels. And my brothers and my sister, I mean, we, we, we gave my mom a lot of gray hairs. But I remember there would be nights I would hear her crying out to God. And I was telling my wife on the way over here, one of, the, one of her often, one of the prayers that she would utter often was based on Jesus when he asked the disciples after they had left him in John 6, other disciples and people stopped following him. He said, are you going to leave me too? And Peter responded by saying, where can we go? You alone have the words of life. And I would hear my mama praying in Spanish, a donde iremos? Tu solo tienes las palabras de vida. Where shall we go? You only have the words of life. And I learned through my mama that you can make it through any storm. 
You can make it through any difficulty. I learned through my dad, cancer can't be the thing that defeats you. You can overcome it regardless if you end up dying from it. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I learned through them that if you pray, there is no struggle, there is no pain, there is no difficulty, there is no trial, there is no tribulation that you can press through and experience God's power sustaining you and helping you and shielding you if you pray. I've been on the mountaintop, but I've been in the valley. I've had to forge through some long rivers. And even in this journey, there's more that I will have to endure just like you. Jesus said it, in this world, you have trouble, you have tribulation, you have distress, you have trials. But cheer up, I've overcome. We're connected to Him through fellowship, communion, through prayer. We're going to overcome every time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You that Your presence is here. And You invite us. You invite us in Your Word. You say in Psalm 50, you say, call to me in the day of trouble. And I will answer you and I will rescue you. I will deliver you. You said in Jeremiah 33.3, an often quoted verse, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you're not even aware of. I'll blow your mind. You'll pray if you'll call to me, if you'll look to me. I'll be your strength in your time of sorrow. I'll be your peace in the midst of panic. Father, I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus, do your presence come and envelop. Come and embrace those that need your help right now. We call on you. You need Jesus right now. Just say, Jesus, help me. Help me. Maybe you feel like you're sinking in sorrow. Sinking. Because of weakness. Sinking even in sin. What I didn't tell you is that Matthew also spoke of this storm experience the disciples had. And he in his gospel points out this happened the same time after they said thought Jesus was a ghost and he said it is I Peter then said in Matthew 14 if it's you Lord bid me to come to you he started walking on water to Jesus but when he saw the wind and the waves he began to sink but the Bible says that as he began to sink he simply cried out Lord save me Lord help me the Bible says immediately Jesus reached out his hand, picked him up from sinking, kept him from sinking, and helped him to walk again on water. Maybe that's all you can say today is, Lord, help. That's all you need to do. Say, Jesus, help me. I need your help. Whether you're here or online, pray that from your heart. You'll see what Jesus can do. Jesus, help me. Bible says he's a very present help in trouble. 
And he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And verse 6 says, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear. Thank you, Lord. It's your presence that is the key to my peace. I invite your presence. I invite you in the boat. I invite you right now into my life. I invite you into my circumstance. Come, Lord Jesus. Because I know if I have you, I can make it through anything. Because you're greater than the storm. You're greater. You walk on what I feel would take me under. You walk on it. You rule over it. Thank you, Jesus. Let's call on him right now. As our PW crew sings this song, let Jesus' presence embrace you right now.